proof that you can be joyful and not happy. Last night, Penn State almost beat Ohio State. And I know if you're, I'm, I'm from Pennsylvania, we're in Ohio State territory here, and I know you Ohio State people are very happy. Well, I'm not so happy, but I'm joyful today. I'm joyful in the Lord. And, and, and you can have that. And we're coming to the book of Proverbs, and it's going to help us understand that we might not always be happy, but there are right things to do, and if we do the right things, we can be joyful. So we're going to start a new series today in the book of Proverbs. And as you already know, every day there are hundreds of choices on what we should do. I'm going to highlight a few of them. How will we treat others? What kinds of words will come out of our mouths? How will we approach our work? How will we handle our money and our possessions? Who will be our friends? How will we handle our sexual appetites? Will we be honest in all of our dealings? How will we respond to authority? What will we do when we get angry? Where will we look for guidance? All of these things are questions that we live with every day. And how we live out those questions determines whether or not we're really following Christ or not. Today we start, as I said, this book study in Proverbs. It is the most explicit, extensive treatment on how the Christian life looks in the entire Bible. But we have a problem. The problem isn't the number of Americans that profess to be Christians. Poll after poll says over 50 to 70% of all Americans claim to be Christians. And I, I hope that's the case. I don't know. I'm not God. I can't see their heart. The problem isn't the number who are professing Christians. The, number, the problem is the number who are acting like Christians. And there's often a big gulf between what a, profess, a person professes and how a person lives. And Proverbs is trying to tighten that gap. If we call ourselves a Christ follower, we need to be living according to the Christian way and not just professing. And so today we come to this first ser uh, sermon, So You Want to Be Wise. And the reason that title is there, because I'm assuming that you are here today because you just don't want to be a professing Christian. You want to be a living it out kind of Christian. And so today we're going to share with you how that can happen in our lives. Now, Proverbs is 31 chapters long. It would take a long time to preach through that book. So what I'm going to do is take the early chapters of the book. And I'm going to start there. And most likely, it'll be in the middle of the book of Proverbs somewhere when your next pastor will come. But this is a great book to teach because I look at it as discipleship. I get the chance to get the Word of God in front of God's people say, here is what the Word of God says. This is how you ought to live. Now, there'll be some breaks for holidays and special sermons, standalone sermons here and there, but we're going to teach out of Proverbs because it's all part of growing up together. When my youngest son got into a lot of trouble this year, I knew he was on the path of foolishness in the book of Proverbs. And I just completed last week the 67th reading of the book of Proverbs in my own personal devotions. And, and I knew that that would be a book for him. And so he went to jail. I said to him that last time I saw him, I said, uh, Ben, if you get a chance, maybe you'd want to do your dad a favor. If you can get a Bible inside the prison, maybe you'd want to go to Proverbs and start reading one proverb a day. And then, and then I'm going to check in on you and see how things are going and see what you think. 
Because I said, Ben, I am guaranteeing you, you will find yourself in the book of Proverbs. About a week later, I was on the phone with him, and I said, Ben, um, are you reading Proverbs? He said, yeah, Dad, I started one a day. And he said, guess what? I said, well, I said, Ben, did you find yourself in the book yet? He said, yeah, Dad, chapter one. <laughs> he found, found himself really early in there. And, you know, every time I read through the book of Proverbs, I find myself in there. I find myself doing some wise things and some really stupid things. Guaranteed, you will find yourself in the Proverbs too. I hope it's going to be more wise than stupid, but you are in there. If you believe it, say amen. Amen, because you are in there, I am in there, we're all in there. And so today, we're going to look at this introduction. God gave us uh, seven verses of introduction to this book. It is so important. And so now that you're all nice and comfortable, I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God's Word, and we're going to read this introduction to the book. And if you don't have a Bible, you might want to use the Pew Bible. That's found in page 527. Use it for the rest of the sermon. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that home with you as our gift. These good words, they begin. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And there you have the introduction. You may be seated. Introductions are so important. They set the tone. They tell us what's coming. And if you're going to understand the book of Proverbs, you need to understand the introduction. So the big idea for my sermon today is we need to understand the introduction to Proverbs in order to get the most out of the book. And I want the most out of the book, and I hope you do too. So we're going to understand the introduction today. And we're going to find three important parts in the introduction. They all start with a P, the preface, the purpose, and the point. So let's look at the first part, the preface to Proverbs, and it's going to be verse 1. Now, it could be rightly said that all verses 1 through 7 are the preface, but we're looking particularly at verse 1 for the introduction today, and a preface is basically a preliminary statement that introduces a book in order to explain its scope and its intention, and that's what we have here today. And in verse 1, we're going to see not only what kind of literature that we're in, but we're going to see the author. And so the preface sets that all up. So let's first of all look at the type of book that we're in. We're in a book that's called Wisdom Literature. Wisdom Literature is this classification in the Hebrew Scriptures that deal with the general ethical and moral issue, uh, moral, yeah, moral issues of life. I just made a new word up. And uh, that reminds me, I, may, I like to make up words. We're going to take a little side here. I just made up another word. My friend and I go back and forth, and we, I make up a word, and he gives me a definition. Subrenzivate. Doesn't that sound good? Subrenzivate. Now I got another one, moracle. And when I get on Facebook today, I'm going to have to tell Scott we got into a new word. But anyway, we are in this classification of wisdom literature. And in the Old Testament, in this classification are the following books. Job, Psalms. 
Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. So right out of the gate, in the preface, we are told we are in wisdom literature. How do you know? Two words, the Proverbs. The Proverbs tells us that we are into wisdom literature. And there's two things that we want to see about the Proverbs. First of all is the meaning of proverb. A proverb is a short, wise saying about how some aspect of life should be lived. And the literal meaning of Proverbs is just simply comparison. And what a proverb does is take this little line, first line, gives us the truth of life. And then it takes the second line to expand it, but it gives us either a contrasting point of view or a comparison point of view. And so to illustrate, I go to chapter 10 and verses 1 and 2. We have a first line and then a second line, which is going to contrast it. A wise man makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Verse 2, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but... Righteousness delivers from death. Most of the chapter is like that. Most of the Proverbs, you have a line, an amplification of the line with either an and or a but to join the two. So most Proverbs, Proverbs tell us what life is like and how we should live it in succinct, short, picturesque statements. And not only is that the way they're presented, these Proverbs call us to action. Now the Proverbs aren't difficult. It says there's only two roads in life. There's no middle road. You're either walking down the wise road or you're walking down the, the foolish road. you got to figure out which road you want to be on, and the Proverbs calls you to the wise road, and you have to ask yourself in the Proverbs, what road am I on? And then choose. The second important thing to know about the Proverbs is the structure. This will help you a little bit. We've got two kinds of Proverbs in the book of Proverbs. One is what we call the cluster Proverbs. The cluster Proverbs are about five, six, seven verses, all about one theme, maybe sometimes a longer segment. The unit Proverbs are just one verse after another of different themes. And so we have cluster Proverbs really in the beginning of the book. In fact, cluster Proverbs run from 1.8 in Proverbs all the way through Proverbs 9.18. And Proverbs 10.1 all the way through 22.16 are the unit ones. One verse after another with different themes. And then they kind of mix that up at the end of the book from Proverbs 22.17 through Proverbs 31.31 is a mixture of unit and cluster Proverbs. And we end up with 375 Proverbs in about 900 verses. So there you have the beginning aspect of what kind of literature we are. What about the author? Well, verse 1. Not only are we into wisdom literature, but it says that Solomon is the author. He is the son of David, the king of Israel. Now, the first 29 chapters are written by Solomon. In fact, I find it interesting when you get into 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 32, it says that Solomon wrote 3,000 Proverbs. We've got 950 in this book, so where are the rest of them? I'd love to find them, but we don't know where they are. But I also want you to know that Proverbs is not the only author. Chapter 30 is written by Agur. Chapter 31 is written by Lemuel. But most of the book of Proverbs is written by that son of David and Bathsheba, third king of Israel. And he is a tender, approximately 20 years of age when he ascends the throne. Isn't that incredible? And so he does ascend the throne. 
And not long after he becomes king, he goes off to Gibeon, a place in Israel where he's going to worship the Lord. And God shows up in a very special uh, manifestation. And he says, okay, son, young man, what would you like as king? Now, I think a lot of young men would say, okay, I've got the invitation. How about some money and how about some power? I'm only 20. He didn't ask for that. He said, Lord, would you give me wisdom to govern your people well? That is insight for such a young man. And God says, you know, Solomon, because you didn't ask for money and for power, I'm not only going to give you the wisdom that you asked for, I'm going to throw in the money and the power. And he became the wisest, most powerful, authoritative figure of his generation, perhaps, of wisdom in the history of the world. Now, the author, Solomon, young man. This directs me to talk to the young people in our audience today, and there are some young people here. It is so important to follow his advice because he makes a plea to people in their teens throughout the book. He makes a plea through people, to people in their early 20s throughout the book to start out well. He doesn't want you to screw up your life because every bad decision you make early on in life contributes to a whole lot of problems down the road. And he's trying to spare young people in their teens and their 20s from all kinds of junk that gets into their lives and gets them trapped in ways they can't get out. And so he says if you want a close relationship with God, you start with wisdom. If you want to live a life that isn't encumbered with all kinds of consequences that are going to tear you apart, you start with wisdom. You start out well. But then he also appeals to the old people. It isn't just starting out well that counts. It might be more important that you finish well. Because when you trash yourself at the end of life, how terrible that is. And do you know what? Solomon emerges as the big silent proverb in this whole thing is that he stopped practicing what he preached. And he fell into all kinds of difficult circumstances. He fell away from his God. He fell away from the wisdom of leading people in Israel well. He left the paths of wisdom. He fell upon hard times and he never recovered when I went to seminary, there were 128 guys in our class. I remember those days when I was in seminary. We were all so excited about getting out, launching into ministry. We wanted to have churches that were on fire. We wanted to reach the world. We wanted to take the Bible into our own lives and live a committed, discipled life with the Lord. We wanted to have the best marriages, and it was all ahead of us. It was so exciting. We wanted to start out well. Now, I don't know what possessed me. But a couple of years ago, I decided to go to the directory of the class that I graduated with, 1975, almost 40 years ago. And I wasn't prepared for what I saw. I thought it was going to be all these people out there in the thick of ministry and making a change. You know, nearly half of my seminary class, 128, have either had failed marriages or out of the ministry. And you're not finishing well. I have no clue why. I feel bad about that. 
But this I know. If it's important to start out well, Proverbs says it's important to finish well. And how I praise God for Billy Graham, who will turn 96 next month, who's shown three generations how to finish well when there's so much litter of pastors and leaders along the road of life who didn't finish well. Well, that's the preface. We're in wisdom literature. Proverbs is written by Solomon. And it's a challenge to us to start out well when we're young and to finish well when we're older. And now he leads us to the second part of his preface, why he wrote the book. This is the purpose of Proverbs. And there are nine reasons why he wrote the book. He says, I'm not going to leave this book up to guesswork for you. Why did I write this book? He says, I'm just going to lay it out there. Nine different reasons I'm going to write this book. Catch this, you'll understand what it's all about. So, let me give you quickly these reasons. These are exciting. Reason number one is that he wrote Proverbs so we know what wisdom is. Because a lot of us claim to know wisdom, but we have no clue what it really is in God's eyes. And so he says in verse 2, he wants his readers to get and to know wisdom. Wisdom is used 45 times in the book. It was a word that was basically borrowed from a word that meant skilled at your labor. Skilled at your labor. If you were a person who could make something, you were wise if you made it well. In business, you were wise if you did well. Skill in what you did as a laborer back in those days. And so he took it over. And he made it a word, skilled in living well. Skilled in living well. That's what wisdom is. That you understand how to live well before God. And so he brought that to the forefront, skill at living well. And I hope that's you. I hope that's me. Now, you have to understand, we live in a world that sees wisdom so much differently than God in the Proverbs. I mean, have you ever got into a difficult situation and you ask people for advice on something? And they started pouring in with all this kind of good-sounding stuff, but you knew it wasn't of the Bible? I've heard all kinds of stuff. I mean, amazing things come out of church people's mouth that are the exact opposite about what God says there. Every once in a while... I post something a little controversial on Facebook. It isn't because I want to be controversial. It's because I'm thinking about something, and I just want to contribute something. And all of a sudden, in pours all this, this stuff. And, and it's all the, like counsel that comes and differences of opinion that doesn't line up with the word of God. And you know what? It may sound good. It may sound 21st century. I don't care how good it sounds and how modern it is. If somebody's wisdom does not line up with the wisdom of God, then we have failed in Solomon's purpose to show us the wisdom of the Lord. In fact, Paul and others say, the wisdom of this world is really foolishness. We have to understand that. Well, why else did Solomon write Proverbs? Reason number two. So that we'll know instruction, verse two. Now, this is so cool that even though sometimes in English our words uh, are good there, it's not exactly translated right or well in our version to gain knowledge. The word basically means to chastise or to discipline. Now, there's knowledge involved, but the import here, that what they're trying to do, is that we will learn some things in Proverbs in order to correct us, in order to change us in the form of discipline and it'll try to make us uncomfortable in some matters so that we'll think hmm uh, this isn't quite going the way it should then I'm going to have to make some changes it's going to discipline us and so we will get we will know what discipline or instruction is the third reason 
so that we'll be able to understand words of insight. From verse 1 to the last verse, of pro- it's just all kinds of insight. It is opening people's eyes to God's point of view, not this world's point of view. And so he said, we're going to take you on a journey of insight so that you won't miss what most people miss. They're going to think their ideas of insight, but really what's in here is God's idea, and that is the aha moment of insight. Reason number four, Proverbs was written so that we'd receive instruction in dealings in our dealing with other people in in righteousness, justice, and equity. Once again, the word is instruction here. And it's talking about correcting us so we'll know how to deal with people we live with. All the way in our family, to where we work, to our commerce, in equity, in righteousness, in justice, so that when we are working with other people, we'll behave fairly and do what's right by them. Reason number five. Proverbs were written so that the simple would get prudence. Now, the word simple there is also could be translated naive. does not mean dumb or intelligent, unintelligent. The simple here means that you are not realizing that if you're not careful, you open yourself up to problems. You open yourself up to risk. You open yourself up to temptation. And he's saying, don't open yourself up to things that could take you down. That's stupid. That's naive. That's simple. And so he says, in order that you don't open yourself up to trouble, you need prudence. And so the simple will get prudence. And prudence is shrewdness. It's cleverness. It's sensibility so that you will be able to evaluate the circumstances of life and not leave yourself open to getting hurt because you didn't see it. Prudence. Reason number six. Proverbs was written to give knowledge and discretion to young people. One of the things we know about young people is that they think they know more than they do. And so it's hard to tell a lot of young people anything. And I know that one of the things um, would come through often when we try to tell our kids, I know, just the inflection, I know, or whatever, whatever, you know. And so they think they know. And, and Here is Solomon saying, we are trying to help young people to understand the difference between wisdom and foolishness because they're not going to see it on their own. So he writes about that, that they might see the difference and not be blinded. And he calls what they need is discretion. And discretion is learning the ability to know the difference between right and wrong at any given time, in any circumstance, in order to do the right thing. And so he wants people who are young to have discretion, to understand the things that could really hurt you, and to be open to learning about those things. The next reason that Proverbs is written by Solomon is so that the wise could become even wiser. I mean, by the time you learn a few things, you don't stop. You want to add to your resume of wisdom. And so you keep on learning more and more. It's an ever-expanding thing. And those who have skill and understanding how to live life will only get more skill as they learn the Proverbs. Number eight, Proverbs was written to give guidance to those who understand them. In other words, if you believe in the Proverbs that they are God's wisdom, then you're going to go there for guidance. If you don't believe it's God's wisdom, then you won't go there for guidance and boop, you're going to have a crash somewhere. I mean, a really big one. 
So if you believe that the Proverbs are God's wisdom, then you're going to go there often and you're going to ask God to guide you from the Proverbs and it is an awesome book for that. In fact, the word guidance in Hebrew simply means steering. Steering. It was used of a ship that had all the mechanisms to help steer the ship through the waters and into the harbors. And if you are willing to believe that this is the word of God and the wisdom of God and you go there... Solomon say it's going to steer your life in the right course. And then number nine, the last one. Proverbs was written to help the wise see what most people miss, verse six. If you really believe that the Proverbs are God's word, you're going to see the truth. If you don't believe there's a lot of good stuff in there and that's not really God's word, then you're going to miss it. It's like Jesus said, the parables in the New Testament, that if you're following the Lord, you'll understand the parables. If you don't, you won't. If you're following the Lord, you'll understand the Proverbs. If you don't, you won't. But he said, oh, it is so important for you to understand that if you believe what wisdom is, you will see in this book things most people miss because they'll think they're riddles. Well, there you have right out of the text the purpose of Solomon, why he wrote the book. There is no book in the entire Bible with a longer purpose statement than this. And I think God's trying to make a point. People of God, if you want to be wisdom, if you want to be wise, then the purpose tells you there's where you go. The book of Proverbs, it'll change your life, young or old. And now we come to the last part of the introduction. We saw the preface. We saw the purpose. Now we come to the point. Some form of this verse 7 is used 14 times in the book of Proverbs. It's the foundation of the book, the foundation of wisdom. And here's the verse, and I want us to say it together, and then it's variation a little bit later on in the Proverbs. Will you say it with me? And say it like you believe it, okay? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The variation comes later on in the book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you believe this to your core, it will transform the way you live your life. And the point of Proverbs is everything starts with the fear of the Lord. And when you have the fear of God in you, it will change the way you live. So Solomon states it plainly. The starting place for true knowledge, true wisdom... True understanding is the fear of the Lord. And if you want to be wise in life, you start with the fear of the Lord. If you want a vital relationship with Christ and with God, you start with the fear of the Lord. Because if you start in any other place, you will not have the fear of the Lord. And if you don't have the fear of the Lord, you will not have wisdom. You will not have true knowledge or discipline. So, it begs the question, what is the fear of the Lord? And I have to tell you right out of the gate, most people are not preaching it the way it really is. They have declawed the fear of the Lord. They have taken the teeth out of the fear of the Lord. And most people will get up and preach a sermon and say, well, the fear of the Lord is reverence and awe. That's the fear of the Lord. That's part of it. But that's just like the appetizers. That's not the main menu. I want to give you the main menu of the fear of the Lord today. It is all the way in the Old and New Testament. Basically, the essence of the fear of the Lord, and I never want you to forget this, 
is that God is dangerous. God is not to be trifled with because there's a wrathful side to his love. God is all-powerful and completely righteous, but sin arouses his anger, and sometimes he must act in certain ways that are not pleasant to us, but for justice reasons. So the fear of the Lord is the realization, even the expectation, that God may use his power to rectify whatever or whoever is not righteous before him, and that can become scary. Well, where do you get this idea that God is dangerous? Well, let's go right to Jesus' words. Luke 12, 5. He says, I warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The author of Hebrews said, It is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And if you have a true understanding of the fear of God, folks, you're going to understand that God is dangerous. And when we're affected by that reality, it changes the way we live. And it's my honest assessment that there's very little fear of the Lord out there, nothing in the world, and very little fear of the Lord in the church. Oh, yeah, there's a whole lot of people who have awe and reverence. You can call that fear, but no, that's not really what it is. Very little fear of the Lord. And because there's very little fear of the Lord, very little wisdom in the world, even in the church. About 10 years ago, Marie and I went to Cancun, and I had an experience that changed my understanding of the fear of the Lord. We took a side trip to Chichen Itza. Anybody ever go to Chichen Itza down in Mexico? Anybody? Okay. you got to get on a, on a trip and go see that sometime. Because there is a pyramid 10 stories tall in the heart of the ancient civilization of the Mayans. And when you walk up and you see that 10-story pyramid, you have an awe and a respect for that. It's an incredible thing. But I realized that I only had one time to be by there, and maybe I wanted more than awe and respect. Maybe I wanted to experience this Chichen Itza phenomenal structure, and I had to make up my mind. Because, you see, I'm afraid of heights. I have fear. I have dreams about heights. But I figured, you know, I'll never get down here again. Maybe I should go and go beyond my awe and my reverence to actually tangle with this pyramid. And so I realized it had no safety features except on one of the stairs. There are four different stairs going up. One of them had a little rope. And I said to myself, you know what, I'm going to climb the one. I'm going to be macho. I'm not going to use any rope. So I found the stairs without a rope. And I started upright in that thing, standing tall and everything, about three stories up. I looked back. I didn't see anything. It was down. It was, all, to me, 90 degrees almost, but it really wasn't. But it seemed that way. Freaked me out. And my fear of the pyramid kicked in. And so what I did is I immediately went to fours. And I started going up <laughs> the stairs this way. And I was so afraid of the pyramid. I finally got to the top, and I crawled across to where the temple was about 10 feet, and I stood against the wall. <laughs> and the four different vantage points of the temple, I held to the wall all the way around, looking out. And I said, you know what, if I'm up there already and I'm this scared anyway, I might as well see what it looks like down there. So I went back to the edge, and I lay down, and I looked. I was afraid I'd fall down. Do you see where I'm headed with this? The problem is i got to get down. 
Now that I'm up, what am I going to do? I thought about options. I could stay up there indefinitely. That might work. <laughs> I could hire a helicopter. Maybe that could take. I thought about a few other things. I said, no, i got to push through my fear and my respect for this beast and get on down. And so I decided i got to find the stair with a rope. And I found that stair, and it was looking at me, and I couldn't get close enough to it, and I'd back up. And this lady said to me, sir, do you, are, do you have a problem? I said, yeah, I really do. Help me. So she helped me to turn around, and I got on there, and I went all the way down like this, never looking around, grabbing a hold of that rope until I got to the bottom. Oh, did that feel good. And I said to my party, piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> That wasn't the truth. They had me videoed. They knew what it was all about. But you know what? I learned on that pyramid not only to respect it for what it is, but to understand its danger. And because I understood the respect and the danger all at once, it guided the way I lived. So I came down very carefully. My friends, if we don't have the fear of the Lord, we're going to be treating the pyramid, as it were, lightly. And I'm going to share with you what happens when you do that in just a minute. But look at the second part of verse 7. Fools despise wisdom and instruction or discipline. They're going to think that vice and proverbs is irrelevant and stupid, and they're not going to follow it. And God calls these kinds of people time and again. We'll see this in the, in the weeks ahead. They're fools. They're missing the whole point. And anyone who lives a self-oriented life while stubbornly ridiculing or ignoring the words and ways of God is a fool. And God is going to be showing the fool what kind of dangerous place he really is in, but he won't see it. And so, as I was walking away from the pyramid, after the encounter of awe and respect and understanding its danger, I said to the guide, how many accidents and fatalities do you have a year? And I'll never forget what he said. We have three or four deaths every year, and it's always because of foolishness. People don't believe what we tell them and respect the pyramid. And that's the kind of fool Proverbs has in mind. So, in the weeks ahead, we're going to be seeing what is wise and what's foolish. We're going to be de developing a fear for God that will control how we live. And then from time to time, both you and I will recognize ourselves in there as a fool. Let's change that to wisdom. And so the goal of Proverbs is to help you master your life and honor God so that our lives would be more enjoyable, productive, and fulfilling. And so we cap off. Right now, what we talked about in this introduction with this compelling video that will help you to see one more facet of wisdom.